Let's just come to a final word of prayer before we come to the preach word. Our great God, we thank you so much for your living word, the Bible. Lord, we thank you for how it leads us, guides us, shows us your will. Lord, I pray that as I speak on what you've laid in my heart, that, Lord, you will increase and that I will decrease. That, Lord, you receive all the glory that's due your holy name. Help me, Lord, in my weakness. Lord, I am very aware of how unworthy I am to speak these tremendous truths. I'm aware of the challenges which this word brings and how I'm fallen so short of them in my own life. So, Lord, I do pray that you will strengthen me now. Help me in this task. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 68, it's one of these psalms which there's a lot of debate around. If you are one of these intellectual types, um, you could really get lost in this psalm because there's so many things within it which people debate about. What does that mean? What does this mean? What is, what's he trying to get at there? Now, we're not going to, you'll be glad to know, delve into the uh, intellectual debates which uh, are around this psalm, but they, they very much are there. What I want to do this, this morning uh, is just try and, and bring us a thought around the beginning of a new year. Being Scottish, new year is a big thing, and uh, it's always been a big thing for us Scots people new beginnings and all that. And so maybe you're someone that never does New Year resolutions, and that's, that's absolutely fine, but I'm hoping that what the Lord has laid in my heart might make you think a little bit about starting again with the Lord if that is necessary. One of the reasons why Psalm 68 is good for that is because the context, or one of the, the, the most popular contexts which people would give to Psalm 68 is the return of the Ark of the Covenant to the city of Jerusalem. If you're not familiar with what that is, there was this golden ornamental box which was created by the people of Israel that represented the presence of God. The presence of God would even at times inhabit that box and would lead the people of Israel into all sorts of wonderful victories. And the Ark of the Covenant, in particular when this psalm is, is written, was far from the, the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem. In fact, it was in a place called Obed-Edom, quite, quite a distance away. And now the Ark is being returned to the city of Jerusalem. And David is delighted. He is beside himself with joy as this Ark begins its journey back to the capital, back to Jerusalem. And it's a, a watershed moment. It's, it's a, it's, it signals a new beginning for the people of Israel that they've got what symbolizes or what is the presence of God here on earth, this ark coming back to the temple, coming back to the, 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 the capital city, Jerusalem, the center, as it were, of, of the nation of Jerusalem, not literally, but figuratively. And so the sermon title I've got for you is Let God, Let God. 
One of the reasons why the, the ark was such a, a big deal was that when the, the ark went in front of the people and, like I said, won many wonderful victories for them, what they were doing was they, they were submitting themselves to Almighty God. You read the history of the, the children of Israel, especially walking through the wilderness, and we'll touch on a little bit of it in a minute. But what you find constantly is that because the, the Ark of the Covenant has got its proper place, it's got its place leading the people of Israel, that they experience these wonderful victories. And really what I'm wanting to get at is that maybe for some of you this morning, this year or a part of this year or just where you are currently right now is that you're aware of the presence of God. You're aware that there is the presence of God. But like the situation with the ark, it's far away. It's in Obed-Edom. It's not with you. It's not affecting your life on a daily basis. It's far away. And maybe this morning as, as you listen to what I, the Lord has laid in my heart, you might start to think, right, I want this. I want the presence of God to come back into my life, to, to lead my life, to affect how it is I go about doing life. And so, like I say, my sermon title is Let God, Let God. Now that, there's a, a, a kind of a common saying is, is, is let go, let God. That is kind of this very haphazard way of thinking about things because it almost lends itself to thinking, right, okay, no responsibility on me. It's all on God. God's going to sort it out. God's going to do it. Now, there is an element within the Christian life where you do need to let go and let God. But this doesn't in any way mean that you don't have some sort of responsibility in your life. The word of God is very clear on his will. When David says, let God arise in verse one, let his enemies be scattered, let those also who hate him flee before him. What he isn't doing in verse one is saying to the children of Israel, stay at home, get comfortable, just enjoy family life because God's gonna go out and fight all of your battles for you. No, they still had to strap the armor on. They still had to pick up the shield. They still had to get the sword ready. They, they still had to sharpen their, their bows and their arrows to be ready to do war. But the big difference is, is that God was on their side. And so this is the context that I want to be preaching into. The idea that God comes back, comes back into your life, starts to affect your life. His presence starts to affect everything that you do. It doesn't mean there's no responsibility to your life, but there is responsibilities to this church. There's responsibility to yourself and to your, to your family. The importance of having a, that, that daily quiet time with the Lord praying before the Lord every day, picking up your Bible, reading the scriptures every day. That's your responsibility. There's no use saying, well, God will sort it out. Your responsibility is to pick up his word, to read it, understand it, to pray into it, to be here in the place of God, to be in the house of God, to hear what the Lord has laid in the hearts of those who would preach. I can't tell you the, the, the volume of times, both in my quiet times and both in here and in this church where the Lord has spoken into a situation into my life where 
so often saying, well, I, I just want to know the will of God. What does the will of God mean? You know, and, and what we often are looking for is the angel in the sky or a kind of a semi-Damascus Road experience. So it, it makes it so clear. Go to this university. Take on this job. Continue that relationship with that boy, that girl. Do make this big decision. When actually, when you just do the basics right, and you have that time with the Lord every day in prayer, reading his words. When you have that time with the people of God and the house of God, both Sunday morning, Sunday night, or on a Tuesday night at the prayer meeting, when you have that time, what you will find is that the word, the will of God, becomes so much more clearer to you. Earlier on this year, I'll give you a, a very personal example I was struggling big time because I, and it's always been on my heart, I've always desired to go into the ministry and it's always been a big prayer in my own life to go into the ministry and I just couldn't understand why the Lord wasn't allowing these things to happen. And about halfway through this year, and it was a real struggle for me, I was spending time before the Lord. One of the big questions, one of the big things that were on my heart was this exact situation. And I picked up a, a, a godly man's uh, letters, a man called Samuel Rutherford. I'm going to quote him a few times to you this morning. But one of the things that he said, and it just spoke to me greatly, was that preaching is not Christ. Preaching is not God. And that just hit home to me in such a, a wonderful way that it gave me this security that now is not the time, Josh. Being a ministry is not what I want to do, what I want you in at this moment in time to be doing. What I want you to be doing is focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that made it so clear to me. But I only got that because I was spending time with the Lord in prayer. Many times I've come to this, this house of worship and sat there and Ben has preached or John has preached Someone else has preached something. And the thing that's been on my heart that I've been struggling with, they have spoken right into. And it's become so clear to me, right? I know what the Lord's will is. It's not complicated. It's quite simple. It's quite straightforward. We complicate it as Christians. We try to make it bigger than, and, and worse than it is. But the reality is the basics. Do the basics right. Get before the Lord let God lead you. So here, I've got five brief points for you. First is let God. Second is let Christ. Third is let God's testimony give you confidence. The fourth is let God be your present and your future. And then finally, let us worship God. So the first one I have for you, let God. Verse one, let God Arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. What David is actually doing here is he's, he's quoting Numbers chapter 10. Let me just read it to you. Verse 35, so it was whenever the ark set out, 
referencing the ark again, that Moses said, rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. When it rested, he said, return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. You know, there was a time in Moses' life when the children of Israel were berating him and saying, look, we've got nothing to drink. Give us something to drink. And the Lord gave a word to Moses. He says, Moses, speak to the rock. And if you speak to the rock, the rock will provide water. But such was the pressure that Moses was under that rather than speak to the rock, what he does is he strikes the rock. The rock still produces water. The miracle still happens in the mercy of God. But there was just this thing within Moses that he just had to express his frustration. He had to go a little bit further than the will of God was, was willing to allow him. And he struck the rock in order to make it happen. And there is sometimes this frustration within our lives that we see something happening and we think, I just want something to happen. Roy Keane, famous footballer who played for Manchester United, he, took, he confessed once in an interview. He said, you know what, sometimes if I'm having a bad game of football, so I've gone through the first half and I've had no impact, the person I'm marking is faster than me, every time I touch the ball I lose it. Whenever I've had a, a first half like that, the second half, I des- my, my, my aim is just to go out there and get a yellow card because I'm so desperate to make some sort of impact on the game. Now, he wouldn't advise that. He doesn't necessarily think that's necessarily a good thing, but such was his desire to impact the game that rather than just do the basics and continue to try and get things right, he says, do you know what? I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to put in a bad tackle and I'm going to, I'm going to get the yellow card just so that I can feel as if I've had some sort of of impact. And maybe there's times in your life, and maybe you're going through it, where you just think, things are just not going as fast as I want them to be. Things aren't happening the way I'd like them to be. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take things into my own hands, and I'm just going to make them happen. Well, the Word of God comes to us now and says, let God arise. Let God do it. Like I've already given you the context, the the structure in which that happens. Let God move in his time. It was the right time for the Ark of the Covenant to be removed from Obed-Edom back to the city, to the capital of Jerusalem. And what this, like I said, signified was the fact that God's presence was coming back. And they were now going to embark upon having a wonderful king in David who was going to defeat so many of their enemies, have God on his side in so many different circumstances, and lead the children of Israel into a golden age to have a kingdom like they've never had before. And this is what God can do if we allow God, if we let God move in our lives. Verse two of our psalm, it talks about uh, as wax melts before the fire. Well, let me just bring you over to, you don't have to turn to it, let me just read it to you and give you the the reference. Psalm 97 verse five, it takes the, 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 the power of God to a new level. In verse five, it says, the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. This is the power of God. Why is it that we think we can have a greater impact than God himself? Yet, so often, 
we do. God just needs a little helping hand. God just needs me to do this. God just needs me to do that. We might not say the words. We might not think even the words. But our actions betray us. And we decide to do something rather than wait. Let God. Let God do it. Because he has the very power to even make the mountains melt. That is the power of what God can do. See what God can do. And as a result of seeing what God can do, we see verse 3. It says, but let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. And this is the law of a Christian who is walking in the will of God, that is allowing God, that is letting God. They are glad. They rejoice before God. They rejoice exceedingly in their God. Not in what they've done, not in what they're going to do, but in what God is doing and what God has done. Let me move to my second point, let Christ, verses four to six. It says this in verse four, sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. The ESV puts it, uh, I think, in a better way. It says, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. And the idea of, of this verse is that back in David's day, when the king was coming, what the people would do, as, as we would do, if we knew that Queen Elizabeth was coming to this, this church, we'd all of a sudden get the, the paint out, we'd get the hoover out, we would do what we could to spruce the place up to make it look good, and this is what happened. Clear the deserts, sing a song, put on a performance. The king is coming. The king is coming. And maybe within your life you might think, well, this is all very well and good, Josh, but I, I, I just don't feel as if I've got God in my life. I just don't know if I've got the, 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 the presence of God in, our, in my life. You see, this is what the Lord Jesus came to do, to save you, to have a personal relationship with you. And when he ascended back into heaven, he left his, his Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide us. In Matthew chapter three, Verses one to three, we read this. This is John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who spoke of by the prophet Isaiah. It's a similar sentiment from what we see in, in Psalm 68. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The Lord has come. John the Baptist came, the way was prepared before the Lord Jesus Christ. He came, as we've just celebrated this Christmas. The Lord Jesus came. And what does he do? What does he come to do? Well, in verse five, we read about what he does. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. Is God in his holy habitation? God sets the lonely, the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. This is our lot 
as those who follow Christ, as those who are Christians, those who are fatherless, the orphans, God will be your father. The defender of widows, to be a widow in the day of David's time was, was a very hard thing. Life was going to be tough for you. And yet, those who are weakest, God comes to and says, I will defend you. Those who are lonely, the solitary, we've heard a lot about that recently. Yet God and his wisdom gives us the church that we can join to, and there the solitary becomes part of a family, becomes part of the family of God. Those who are bound, and this speaks to all of us, we've all been bound by sin, by whatever struggles it is, whatever sin that keeps tripping you up, whatever wrong it is within your life that keeps on getting you down, the Lord says, I'm coming to take you from that bondage and to take you into my glorious liberty. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, read this beautiful, wonderful promise. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This is what's available to us as Christians this morning through what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Verse, uh, my third point, let God's testimony. You read right throughout the, the Bible and you see God coming forward once time and time again for his people. But when he does so, when God moves, there is a trembling. There is a, a, a holy, reverent fear of Almighty God. I'm not going to read it to you right now because it's a bit lengthy, but I want to get the, the sentiment across to you. In Exodus chapter 19, it corresponds very well with um, verse 7. Oh God, when you went out, verse 7 of, of Psalm 68, oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook. The beginning of verse 8. Exodus chapter 19, verses 9 to 16, tells us all about when God was going forth, when he was using his servant Moses, and what the people did when they saw the power of God is that they trembled with holy fear, with the reverence of God. And this is what we need to get back to, that holy fear, that reverence of Almighty God. Verse 8 continues and talks about how the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God. The God of Israel, you, O God, sent a plentiful rain whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. David is telling the people that are reading this psalm, God is time and time and time again come through for you. He's done wonderful things for you, for your ancestors. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, you read about the rain coming, the blessing of the rain coming. In Exodus chapter 16, you read about the manna coming down from heaven to feed the people of God. Time and time again, and you who have been in the, the, the church for a while, those who have been Christians for a while, you will be able to testify to the Lord's goodness in your life. 
time and time again. I know that within my own life, the Lord moving time and time again in situations that I thought were impossible. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to move. But God moves. And when I remember those times, I often find myself, especially in my quiet times, trembling as I remember the power of God and the impact that he has. Verse 11 tells us about the word of God. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. You know this this Bible which we have, it's God's testimony. It's God's word to you, to me. Almighty God gave us this Bible as a testimony of his love, of his power, of what he can do in our lives. Yet, how often do we neglect it? There's a beautiful promise given to us, and once again, let me just read it to you, that corresponds very well with verse 11 of our psalm. In verse 11 of Psalm 33, it says this, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. You see, while this world tries to work out what a man is, what a woman is, or what neither of them are, while this world tries to work out, do we like men or do we like women? While this world is trying to work out just the very basics of life, the word of God's counsel stands forever. While this world chops and changes and gets confused and doesn't know what's left, doesn't know what's right, this stands forever. This word will be proclaimed not just in the 21st century, but in the 22nd, the 23rd, the 24th. The word of God will stand forever. This is his testimony. And he's already proven it with time already. 2,000 years, the word of God has stood. And it still stands today. And if the Lord does not come back, I guarantee you, not that you'll be around to see it, but I promise you that in 4,000 years' time, the word of God will stand. It will not change. It will stand forever. The counsel of God is forever. Let me quickly come to my fourth point. Let God be present and your future. This is Samuel Rutherford. He came away with this, which was so true. But when my faith was asleep, Christ was awake. And now, when I am awake, I say, Christ did all things well. Maybe this morning you've been asleep, spiritually speaking. You've been asleep. Well, this morning I encourage you, Wake up. Let God be your present. Let him be your future. Verse 19 gives us this practical advice. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with salvation, with benefits, the God of our salvation. What David is saying there is he's remembering how daily 
God gives us blessings. Many of us have woke up this morning, we're healthy, we're well. You go downstairs or you go to your, your fridge, you open it up, it's, there's food there. Many of us would have got here by car. It started. The many blessings, the daily blessings that we have in our lives that we often take for granted. We have family who love us, who care for us, who would do so much for us. You look at the, the majority of this world and there's a lot of people that aren't half as blessed as you are. There was a, a man, I don't know who exactly his name, but he came up with this way of doing prayer and, it, and it's a fantastic way. It's a simple way of doing prayer. But it's, it's what it does, it, it really focuses the mind. Joy, do prayer in a joyful way. Joy, Jesus first, the J. O, others second. And finally, why, yourself last. As we begin a new year, do that. When you pray, thank the Lord for the blessings that are in your life. And no matter what the mood is, when you sit down, the difficult day that you've had, or whatever decision has gone against you, or whatever that is that's not going your way, when you sit down and you start to number the blessings that God has given to you in your life, you'll start to realize, I am blessed. I am blessed. You start to pray about other people and their struggles and the things that you know that they're going through. Once again, you will realize the people that are in your life and how they need you and the purpose there is to your life. And then finally, when you get to yourself, when you pray about yourself, 